What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, what's up, guys? Happy Monday. Welcome to another edition of the Grappling Bulletin Podcast. Myself, Howell Teague. Joined by Corey Stockton here to break down the biggest stories from the news of jiu-jitsu and grappling from around the world. And we've got a lot to talk about today. We'll jump into the news in just a second. But first of all, let me give a shout out. Look at this. This is by far the most colorful shirt I think I've ever worn on the Grappling Bulletin podcast. You got one too, right? I did. And it is by far the most colorful in, in, in my drawer. I've got a, a drawer of black IBJJF t-shirts, a couple grays, <laughs> and then just this neon green tie-dye Renee Souza special. Shout out to Renee Souza, Buggy Choke the World, repping, a big present there from the guy. When, when he came into Austin for the WNX finale the other week, hooked a bunch of us up, and it's been kind of one of those things where we're all like texting each other, going into work in the morning, like, hey, I'm wearing my t-shirt today. We better not be twins, because that has happened. More than once. More than once. More than once. All right, let's get into it. Let's get into the grappling news today. There's uh, a lot to talk about, so we'll kick us off with uh, the first story today. Yeah, the uh, IBJJF Grand Prix uh, kicking off on August 12th here in Austin. Uh, we had a little bit of a change to the middleweight Grand Prix. Gabriel Lar just pulled out due to injury. He's being filled by Andre Porfirio from Fight Sports. Andre Porfirio, 2021 Pan Champion uh, and uh, World Champion at every color belt level. Yeah, this is uh, this is an interesting addition to the lineup. It does change things significantly, whereas before you had two world champions in the form of Gabriel Arges and uh, Leandro Lowe, Landro Lowe. Now you've only got Lowe. And uh, I think that this actually changes the dynamic of the bracket in a very interesting way because Leandro Lowe is the eight-time world champion, the, uh, the veteran, you know, the legend. And all of a sudden, he's got three very hungry up-and-comers kind of like nipping at his heels. You've got Matias Luna of Checkmap, Ronaldo Jr. of Atos and Andre Porfirio of Fight Sports. That, that for me, makes this tournament uh, a little less certain now because whereas you had two heavy favorites who were kind of predicted to meet in the final, now it's uh, a little less clear. Yeah, and, uh, you know, Leandro's been spending the last couple years kind of fighting back the new guard, right? But this tournament is going to make it very apparent just at what level he stands against these hungry up-and-comers. But you're right, no clear clear second favorite in that mix, right? So the seeding is going to be really unusual and and, uh, an interesting chance to see some matchups we haven't seen in a little bit. Moving on, next story, we have the Pedro Mourinho is joining the under 99 kilogram division for ADCC. So this was kind of in the works for a little while. Now, the way that this came about, of course, is that Tim Spriggs pulled out of ADCC, didn't cite any specific reasons as to why he pulled out. Feel free to use your imagination for that one. But Pedro Mourinho is a worthwhile addition to this weight division. Now, he could have gone under 88 or under 99. He kind of flits between weight classes. But the who's number one light heavyweight champion and, of course, the double gold uh, winner at the the World Nogi Championships in 2021. Uh, Pedro's a pretty solid addition to an already very competitive weight division. Yeah, and at uh, 99 kilograms, there are some great matches there for him, right? And, and matches that are clearly winnable, right? He uh, he beat Craig Jones, who's number one, to win that belt. Uh, we could see that rematch as well as several others. Uh, d- despite his um, recent performance against Gordon Ryan, Pedro is one of the best. He's ranked top 10 in the world for a reason. Yeah. Don't don't look at that performance against Gordon Ryan and make any assumptions about Pedro exactly. Mourinho's jiu-jitsu going into ADCC because a match against Gordon Ryan is going to look very different to a match against anybody else. Right. And I think that a lot of people, of course, memories are short, so they will have seen that performance against Gordon. And they may be asking the question, well, why is Pedro being invited? Yeah, and th- the answer... If, if you know just how good Gordon Ryan is above everybody else, the answer should be pretty clear, right? Pedro Marino, despite uh, struggling pretty hard against Gordon, uh, against Gordon Ryan, uh, has 
a phenomenal guillotine game, phenomenal wrestling game, great top game, and he is, like I said, he's ranked top 10. Um, he, he He's a Nogi World Champion, a two-time Nogi World Champion. Already beaten as well, ADCC veterans, including champions such as Roberto Cyborg, he's beaten Victor Hugo, he's beaten Wagner Hosha, uh, he's beaten Craig Jones, you know, there's uh, this two ADCC silver medalists and a former ADCC Superfight champion. And a world nogi champion victor hugo as well and uh you're right there are a ton of very interesting matches for uh Mourinho waiting for him in that under 99 kilogram division i'm just looking at the likes of lovato kainan yuri samoyes patrick gaudio nicholas marigali elder cruz devonte johnson and more uh, it's a very exciting lineup and i think pedro's going to shake things up it's going to be a good one next RDR, uh, Rainier de Ritter won the one middleweight championship uh, belt this weekend with a really unusual submission, right? Something we don't see very often, uh, <laughs> a, a tricky inverted triangle from yeah, the Yeah, bring here. up this photo because this is a kind of a tricky one. When you see it, it suddenly makes sense. But when you try to describe it, it's like <laughs> an, an upside down inverted reverse triangle. What do you know it as? Uh, yeah, I, I guess reverse triangle, right? That I know that there is a, uh, let's call it a Donaherian name for this ah, specific triangle, like but I don't, something. don't know it. <laughs> yeah, so uh, so Renier de Ridder, uh, the, the, the Dutchman, he is uh, the one middleweight champion. And man, this guy has actually got something of a, uh, a kind of, he's on something of a roll. He's hitting submission after submission in his MMA career. He's uh, he's undefeated at 16-0, and he has 11 submissions. That's uh, That's very impressive. But... The inverted triangle that he hit, it's a very rarely seen move. You really, it's rare to see it in jiu-jitsu. It's rare to see it in MMA. Uh, but it is extremely powerful when utilized correctly. And I think for the majority of grappling fans, they associate this particular submission with the legendary ADCC champion, Braulio Estima. Now, we have a video from 2009. Uh, this is the ADCC World Championships in Barcelona, the under 88 kilogram final when Braulio used it to submit Andre Galvao. If we have this video, let's roll this so we can take a quick look at it because this is the really the moment when uh, the, the, the submission was not just popularized, but it was put on the map because up until this moment in time, maybe some people had hit it in the gym, maybe in lower level tournaments, but for Braulio, to do it against Galvao in an ADCC championship final, I mean, that was just, that was that was something you could not avoid, you could not miss, and, and, and people had to suddenly respect this unorthodox submission. Yeah, and, and it, it is kind of a foreshadowing in in a way, right? This is one of the submissions that you can, you have to be wary of when you when you get guard passed. It's kind of an early day buggy choke, right? It's, <laughs> it's something that like preceded the buggy choke in that it was something most guard passers weren't expecting that all of a sudden became something dangerous that you had to pay attention to you had to be aware of yeah absolutely uh yeah really special moment braulio of course winning that that was the uh, the year that he won double gold at adcc 2009 with six out of eight submissions and you can watch all of those matches on flowgrappling.com because we have the entire match archives from 2009 2011 2015 2017 and adcc 2019 10 years of adcc history you can go watch so, uh, unfortunately, a little bit of sad news that we have to pass on now as well is that we've learned of the passing of a, um, a red belt grandmaster based out of Brazil known as Osvaldo Alves. So, Osvaldo Alves was a ninth degree red belt grandmaster of Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And that means that he has been involved in the sport for probably 50 or 60 years at this point. It's um, estimated that he started training jiu-jitsu as a child in the 1950s. He was a friend of the Gracie family and uh, was invited to train with them. But he was also a lifelong judo practitioner as well even went and lived in japan has has taught jujitsu at the kodakan as far as we know he was the only uh jujitsu brazilian jujitsu practitioner to ever teach ground fighting at the famous kodakan which is the kind of the spiritual home of judo in japan and uh, osvaldo alves Maybe a little forgotten now uh, in the kind of the modern jujitsu scene because he's uh, sort of already he was in a, in his eighties and was less active. Um, but in Brazil, very well respected, particularly for his contributions to the sport in Manaus, and he was widely regarded in Manaus as kind of the godfather of Brazilian jujitsu in the city of Manaus, now known as one of the strongest cities in, in the whole world as this hotbed of jujitsu. And he actually went there in the nineteen seventies. He was not the first to take jujitsu. 
uh, and, and teach it in Manaus. So jujitsu was really founded there by Hayes and Gracie in the 1970s. But Osvaldo Alves went there a little later and he kind of planted the seeds. Uh, he trained and he kind of, you know, had a number of black belts under him in that city. And uh, of course, you know, since then, Manaus has grown to become one of the, the strongest places in the world for jujitsu, right? Yeah, it's something that we, we refer to quite often as the, the Dagestan of jujitsu, right? The, the area where just uh, per capita, more of the most dangerous athletes come from. And it, it speaks to kind of the influence that, that uh, Osvaldo Alves had in that area. Yeah, Osvaldo Alves was known as not just a, uh, a, a teacher, but uh, also as a coach. He was quite innovative for his time because he had an athletic background. He competed at the Pan American Games in judo in the 1960s. And he, he brought what he learned from his judo experience and from his world of working with true athletics. And he brought sports training methods to jiu-jitsu which at the time was trained just as a martial art. And he started uh, coaching people like uh, Holes Gracie and, uh, and and work with them, training them in, in athletically as well as technically. He was responsible for introducing a number of ground fighting techniques into modern jiu-jitsu and drills as well, which is something that wasn't really present in jiu-jitsu in the era. But you can see the lineage go on because his style of jiu-jitsu is, uh, is, you can find videos of him teaching these drills online. And it looks surprising modern and it's not surprising when you find out that for example somebody like Andre Galvão his direct lineage goes back to Osvaldo Alves because his teacher Careca was a black belt from Osvaldo Alves so Galvão back to Careca back to Osvaldo Alves and the drills and such that you would have seen Osvaldo Alves do and then made their way through into the modern day training and you can see them being practiced on the mats today at OSHQ yeah and it's it's no better place to find uh, ver th those very kind of dialed in drills, right? Than, than a place like Atos or, or somebody in that lineage. So our respects to the Alves family. Um, of course, a, uh, a huge contri contribution and a pioneer of, uh, of sorts to uh, the art of jujitsu. So uh, yeah, RIP Grandmaster Osvaldo Alves. Okay, so moving on, we're going to go talk about the results uh, from the weekend because there were a number of events that took place over the weekend. We had... Um, we had three notable events on Flow Grappling, uh, three that we're going to talk about at least. And we'll start off talking about PJ Barge because he submitted four in a row to win the submission-only series Welterweights Pro Invitational Tournament. And we can play this highlight video while we're talking because, man, PJ Barge, we were talking about this earlier, weren't we, Corey? That when we were, we were talking about PJ Barge, an exciting competitor, very dependable. You know what you're getting with PJ Barch, but he seems to do best in tournament settings. Yeah, when, when PJ Barch goes into a tournament and he's on, he submits everybody almost every time. I remember back to Emerald City last year when we were having the same conversation. PJ submitted all four. And it's not just once or twice. Every time he enters a 16-man or, or an 8-man, he goes in there and he kills everybody. Gets that momentum, you know, a couple of early kills in his first couple matches, and then it just builds and builds into a crescendo in the finals. So, Barch had four matches, uh, four submissions, and the opening two, well, he had the one there, the, the choke, the finish, the rear naked choke, catches this second one via a leg lock. And, but also, I think that this is an, a really cool theme throughout this whole tournament as well. You'll see clips of it as we go through. The Barch got to utilize a lot of wrestling. And this is, I think, what Barch is best known for. Wrestling, chokes, and leg locks. It's that real, true, modern no-gi game. And you have to think that that wrestling is going to come in handy then going into ADCC in September. That's right. I think it was beneficial for, for PJ's kind of future here that his opponents were willing to wrestle with him because it allows him to build some momentum into ADCC where that wrestling is going to be necessary. Look at the takedown there from the arm drag straight into the side control against a competent wrestler like John Combs. Not many people can do that. But uh, I like the way that he's mixing up his his attacks. Very creative positions there. Combs was able to hide his, uh, hide his ankles in that one. But again, the arm drag to the back and he's a vicious finisher once they get down to the mat as well. You'll see in just a moment that the... It was not a friendly uh, finish in this match particularly, right, Corey? No, it looked like PJ was definitely motivated for that $5,000 cash prize and willing to, uh, willing to take John's face just about off, off of his head uh, with, this, with this choke here, this really gnarly uh, face crank. 
Absolutely brutal. In the final against Chris Wojcik, who's uh, been making quite a name for himself on the Nogi scene as well, freshly promoted black belt not too long ago, and uh, a very uh, a very dangerous competitor who, who shouldn't be slept on. But again, Barch was playing that game of hitting those takedowns straight into dominant positions, show great awareness of defending against the buggy choke there. And then this is the, the thing that really stood out for me. Now, as the clock goes down, you can see they're in the final 10 seconds and the counter leg lock. Yeah, uh, uh, Chris Bochek here was working that that false reef setup, and, and PJ very keen to, but obviously passed the uh, the inside leg to the outside and turned on his own attack. Yeah, I got to say, big fan of PJ Barch's jujitsu. Always enjoy watching him, especially in this format competition. I think that if you are a tournament promoter, if you are a uh, booking super fights, and you've got a spot at 170 pounds, you should absolutely be calling PJ Barch. Because like I said earlier, with PJ Barch, the 10th planet black belt, you know exactly what you get, right? Right, and what you get is exactly what, what viewers, what, what uh, fans of the sport want, right? It's aggressive wrestling. It's not, not just kind of meaningless hand fighting. He wrestles with a purpose. When he gets to the ground, he pursues attacks with a purpose. That's exactly what we all want to see and, and he should be part of every show. And ruthless finishing yeah. to boot. Absolutely ruthless finishing. Really is a uh, great example of the modern jiu-jitsu game there for coming out of the 10th Planet School. All right, let's uh, talk a little about a Rise Invitational. So SOS, or Submission Only Series, took place uh, in, uh, or, say, California. And Rise Invitational is one of the biggest shows on the East Coast, right? Yeah, it's uh, it's down on Long Island uh, by, by uh, promoter uh, uh, Luneglia. Uh, really just uh, high-level kind of East Coast up-and-comers. Uh, we got to see a lot of them in this absolute tournament. Uh, but the, the the big winner here was Devante Johnson, won the $10,000 cash prize in Man, the Ace-Man tournament. He steamrolled it. He just bulldozed his way through every opponent that he faced. He went out there and, man, I, I, okay, it was an open-weight tournament. Devontae Johnson definitely looked like he had a size advantage, but it was a very composed performance as well. Yeah, he looked he looked kind of calm and collected against uh, a couple of really dangerous opponents, but had his game plan in mind, got it quickly to the mat, and then worked finishes like that that Americana from Mount, which you don't see very often, do you? You really don't see that, but it just goes to show that the basics work. So, uh, yeah, he submitted three in a row, submitted in his first match, Albrus Tuaev, uh, then Rene Souza, who you can see in this match right here, uh, Devonte, his dynamic passing as well on point, and using that size and power advantage. Again, great awareness of defending against attacks from the bottom. Rene has got that savage buggy choke that he does so well and uh Devonte was having none of it and then was able to get the arm in a rather un unorthodox kind of finish finishing position and then put the smash on Jason Rao the uh notorious leg locker out of Sarah Jiu-Jitsu Jason Rao always always heard of Jason as one of the better leg lockers on the east coast scene and uh man Devonte showed you know just absolutely no fear in going forward into the guard getting this top position and then hitting that arm triangle choke from top that's right and we're at that time of the year where those those athletes who are headed toward ADCC are really dialed in and really looking dialed in, right? You can say the same for P for PJ as you can for Devante is that they are deliberate in what they're doing and insatiably aggressive when they, when they get into position. Yeah, really was clinical finish. And uh, I think you're right. PJ and Devante both invited to ADCC in September and they're, you know, getting these uh, wins under their belt now, building the momentum, building the confidence to go into the world championships in September uh, and yeah, if this is what we can expect, man, it just makes me even more excited. It really does. The uh, last event that we wanted to touch on was that of uh, the combat sports coverage event. Now, this was a, uh, a kind of a mixed event of super fights and also a uh, three on three uh, team challenge. So you had three teams, excuse me, you had four teams of three competing in a bracket. And there was sort of mixed of, uh, of various competitors. And uh, the, the, the final match of this entire tournament is what really stands out, blew us away because Jonathan Wilson of Wilson Bros Grappling, the winning team, took out Andrew Tackett with this come-from-behind knee bar in the very last match to win the team title. Let's take a look at this, if we can, please. We've got a clip of the video that we can play. And uh, this, this, when I say come-from-behind, I mean it, because he was all over Wilson, as Andrew Tackett does, pouring on the pressure. But look at this, just sniping that knee bar out of nowhere, Corey. 
Yeah, uh, and and good on him for not giving up after having his back taken by somebody as uh, vicious and sometimes mean as Andrew Tackett can be. I'm sure not not a comfortable place to be with him on your back, uh, but to stay composed, wait for the opening, and to to snag that knee bar in the last minute uh, is is just great awareness. Yeah, we're taking another look at it slow motion here. I like the way that you know Wilson was flattened out. He sensed uh, just a little bit of space. He was able to start coming up, and then if you notice that the left foot is loose and that. Hook is kind of floating around, and Wilson scoops it up, goes straight into the straight knee bar. A, uh, a very, very tight leg lock indeed. And I gotta say, I, I like to see this. Uh, not only is it extremely impressive submission, but I like the the reminder to the grappling world that there are more to leg locks than just heel hooks. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think a lot of times people get fixed on heel hooks, right? They've been so popular for you know seven years and they're not always the most reliable, right? Something like a knee bar that can end a match in an instant. Um, it's, it's a thing of beauty. It really is. It really is. Uh, yeah, very impressive win there from Wilson uh, to take that team uh, team challenge there, beating Andrew. And that's actually the third knee bar that Andrew has fallen victim to in the last sort of seven, eight months, right? Yeah, I think, I think we can chalk it up to youth a little bit. Uh, Andrew, one of the things that we like most about watching him as grappling fans is that he's... Uh, you can call it maybe a little, little creative and flashy, but maybe even a little reckless. Um, oh yeah, he he takes advantage of, or he likes kind of, to live dangerously. Yeah, he, <laughs> and and that danger will catch up to him. So I think um, this might be a learning experience for him to. Uh, settle down in good position a little bit. You know, he's, he, he got somebody's back. No use uh, trying to flex on them so much. But that's that's what makes Andrew Andrew at this point in his career. I mean, we love his open game, right? <laughs> it's so entertaining to watch. And and you're right that, you know, the more risks that you take, the more openings that you leave, the more opportunity it is for your opponent to catch up. Maybe that's a question of maturity. Maybe that's something that he'll tighten up as he goes. You have to think three knee bars in a row that he's going to learn a pretty harsh lesson from that. But, uh, but yeah, one of those things that I, I think if you try to study his game and if you think you're going to go out and tap Andrew with a knee bar, good luck with that. He, <laughs> if he knows it's coming, that's a different question. Cool. Well, uh, just a quick shout out to everybody who's watching us, joining in on the live chat on the YouTube. And uh, if you want, you can drop any comments, any questions. Uh, we'll do our best to respond to them throughout the show as we go. Love conversing with you guys on there. Um, but yeah, it's time to get into the big story of the day. The big story of the day is, of course, uh, Gordon Filippi Pena. So we are, if I'm not mistaken, 11 days out. 11 days out from, I would say, one of the one of two of the most anticipated super fights in grappling history. Of course, those two super fights both involving Gordon Ryan. Gordon versus Felipe Pena and Gordon versus Andre Galvao. So we've got to wait 54 days for the match against Galvao. It's going to take place in September in ADCC, but we're only 11 days out from the match with Felipe Pena. Now, this third match between the two is not a rubber match because they haven't gone one and one. It is 2-0 for Felipe Pena into this match. And a lot of people are questioning why this match is even taking place, including some of us here as to why exactly Felipe decided to take the match. We'll get into that in just a second. But before we get into the details of this, let's roll this video to get the juices going because this is, this is a good one. He has 2-0 right now. He should just kind of ride that for the rest of his career and say, I'm the only guy to beat Gordon twice at Black Belt. He agreed to a match. I don't know what he's thinking. I'm chasing 100%. Everyone is talking about Gordon. He is the open weight champion. Since 2019, his stock has just gone down and down and down and down. If this guy competes against me now, Black will be competitive. He's the guy who talks a lot of crap all the time, you know? Makes me want to fight him. There's just nothing in the sport that Felipe is better than me at, besides losing. Gordon, my chubby baby, I am coming for you, okay? The second he feels one of my grips on him, he's gonna be like, oh, I shouldn't be here. He got two of the very best of all time. And he's gonna be one of the greatest matches in, in Jiu-Jitsu history. So the moment is upon us. This epic match that, that we've been looking forward to for years now. Last time they faced off was September 2017. Now here we are almost five years later and it's still, at least for me, 
doesn't feel quite real that this match is taking place. Yeah, and I think there was so much uh, will they, won't they for so long, right? That, um, that there's, it feels like it can't be real, but <laughs> but here we are, and and it's it's so real in fact that both these guys have locked into a uh, high stakes bet, right? Uh, hundred hundred ten thousand dollars on the line in total. Uh, Gordon Ryan putting up ten, uh, excuse me, one hundred thousand of his own against Felipe Pena's ten. So. This is the story that we're going to get into to begin with. This is the big money bet between Felipe Pena and Gordon Ryan. So Gordon Ryan is that confident going into this match that he has put up $100,000 of his own money and is offering Felipe Pena 10 to 1 odds. So Gordon has put in 100000 Felipe Pena has put in 10000 and winner takes all. Should Gordon Ryan win by submission, goes home, just an extra 10 Gs in his pocket. Should Felipe Pena win, he takes $100,000. That's a lot of money. Now, this money has been transferred to a third party. It's Mo Jessim, the ADCC World Championships promoter. He's holding on to that money. He's got it in an escrow account. And the match, basically, as, as soon as the match begins, the agreement becomes legally a binding. So what happens is... The winner, and there is only one way to win, the winner takes all. Because this is a no-time-limit submission-only match. So you're going to, well, somebody's going to have to work hard for that money. Yeah, and it, looking at this matchup, right, you can and you can expect based on uh, the odds he's given Felipe Pena that Gordon Ryan is confident, right? Gordon Ryan is always confident, despite the fact that he's 0-2 in this matchup. Gordon Ryan is confident that he, sh that he can and will win, and he should be given... Uh, his most recent performances, but you have to think in order for him to have taken this matchup, Felipe, Conf uh, Felipe Pena also has to be incredibly confident and yeah. looking at, okay, looking at their most recent, uh, the, the, the recent history, right? Felipe's two and O. So sure he's confident, but seeing what Gordon has been capable of doing recently, what does he know about Gordon Ryan that we don't know? What, how does, how is he so confident that he can beat Gordon? This is time? the big question. This is the big question because when it comes to laying out the, the, sort of the paths to victory, let's say, you know, it's pretty obvious what Gordon's got going for him, right? He's got a size advantage. You know, he has been untouchable the last five years. You know, he has only been submitted once as a black belt. That was Felipe Pena way back in 2016. That feels like a lifetime ago. And just his his run his streak of dominance against all comers that there are very few chinks in gordon ryan's armor so most grapplers see gordon ryan as this just unbeatable opponent this figure is just man i'm not even going to try that's why we've had so many problems getting opponents for gordon because people are just now nah, they give up before they even attempt it they like can't be done whereas felipe pen is like no i'm gonna do it again i've done it twice and I'm going to prove for a third time that I'm the daddy here. <laughs> because one of his favorite nicknames for Gordon is his chubby baby, which is just absolutely hilarious. But this is the big question, his path to victory. Because I state that there's only one way to win here, and that's by submission. Now, we know that Felipe Pena has got sublime back-taking skills. His ability to get to people's back is just borders on the magical. It's just like he teleports onto people's backs. And then, when he's there, he has the ability to finish with a rear naked choke. It is world class. He's among one of the best in the world at finishing with a rear naked choke from the back. Even still, are those two weapons enough to beat Gordon? Well, and, and here's the, I think, the, the big difference I see in the question I'm stirring on, right, is in 2016, Gordon was pursuing leg locks more than anything else. In 2017, Gordon was still pursuing leg locks more than anything else. And in both of their matches, Felipe used Gordon's leg lock to get to his back. Gordon hasn't abandoned leg locks entirely, but he's pretty far beyond having a sole focus of attacking leg locks, right? He's no. looking to crush from the mount. That seems so, to be the dominant theme recently, right? It's, right. It's, it's top position, top pressure, and control, and just demolishes opponents from top. So Felipe also has to have an ulterior method of victory, or at least another method to Gordon's back. And if he's so confident that he can take Gordon's back from a, from Gordon's passing approach, I'd love to see. I'm, I'm really excited to see what he has cooked up because, again, even though he's getting 10-to-1 odds, you know, I wouldn't take 10-to-1 odds on 
something I, I didn't have any confidence in. So there was already a lot on the line for this match. It was mostly honor because the money is not really a motivating factor for Felipe Pena. I'm sure he's more than happy to go home with that much money should he win. But he's done well for himself in his professional career. He's not hurting for money. He doesn't need to take this match. For Felipe, he already has two wins. He's the only person to have beaten Gordon more than once at the black belt level. That is something that sets him apart from everybody else in the world. So it's not like he has anything to prove there. But there's something that is motivating him to take this match. And I feel that it's personal. So we have a clip here from Felipe Pena talking when we went to visit him in his uh, gym in Brazil. Talking a little bit about kind of the behind the scenes of the, the very first time that they faced off in 2016. Roll this clip. And everyone from my side was so happy, you know, because uh, because of the trash talk, you know, takes really personal and everything. So everyone was like, yeah, I remember like many, many uh, messages before the fight. Like people say, man, you need to win this, please. Like people get like really hyped because of the trash talk. Uh, and people take very personally, you know, so... I think it was a victory not only for me, but uh, for a lot of people, you know. No, man, he never stopped trash talk, you know. Since the first match, like before the first match, trash talk, and then I, I win. And then after the, the first match, keep talking, keep talking, and then we fought in DCC and I win. And then keep trash talk, keep trash talk until nowadays, you know. I think uh, uh, nowadays, uh, the internet bring this, you know. You can say many, many things, and a lot of people gonna believe because you saying that many, 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 many times, you know. And I think uh, for God, it works like this, you know. So you have to think that Gordon Ryan, being as fiercely competitive as he is, and his matches may not be entirely competitive. They've, they've been extremely one-sided as of late. His competitive streak is among the biggest in the entire sport, right? Yeah, Gordon does not like to lose. He doesn't like to look like he's losing for a second of the match or a second of the pre-match shit talk. Right? Exactly. So you have to think then that this loss, excuse me, these two losses against Felipe Pena, they have been gnawing at Gordon Ryan for years now. And uh, he is very keen to erase the black marks on his record. And the best way to do that would be by beating Felipe Pena. Well, we spoke to Gordon as well to kind of talk to him a little bit about what this match might look like. But just play this clip real quick and then we'll talk about it. So after the second match, I knew that Felipe was a guy that I could beat. Um, but I just made one tactical error and that ended up costing me the match. So in my mind, I knew that I was better technically than him. Um, just fixing a few tactical mistakes that could win me the match. Um, if I got to a good position, then I could finish him. Like if I got past his guard, if I got, got to his back, I could finish him. So in my mind, um, I thought that it was going to be, a, he was still a rel he was still a very competitive match for me. But in that, uh, after that match, after the first match, I was like, man, he, maybe he's, he, he was better than me that day for sure. Um, but after the second match, I kind of feel like I kind of lost it for myself with that tactical error. Um, and then, uh, and I felt like I was better than him, but I just made a stupid mistake that cost me the match. So right after that match, I felt like I was better than him, um, not by much, uh, as just doing an open competitive role. I felt like I was much better at certain positions than he was, but um, if I competed against him in an open role, it would be a very competitive match. Um, but I, I did feel at that point like I was starting to, I was starting to kind of pull away from him in terms of technical knowledge. Um, but it was just a matter of time before I put it all together with the tactics, the technique, um, and, and put everything together as, as a whole game. And you know, then once I got to 2018 and I did Nogi Pads and Nogi Worlds, now I'm like, okay, like Felipe's time to compete against me was two weeks after the last ADCC. Like if this guy competes against me now, you know, after Nogi Worlds in 2018, I'm like, if this guy competes against me now, it's not going to be competitive. And 2019 happened and now we're all the way in 2022. So, I mean, his, his time has, has passed to beat me. So this is an interesting talking point here, that a lot has changed since they last faced off in September of 2017. Now, Gordon's career has gone from strength to strength. 
you can't say the same for Felipe's. No, Felipe has, when we've seen him, been been very good at doing what he does, right? Getting on the back and finishing from there. But we've seen a lot less of Felipe Pena, in, especially in Nogi competition, since uh, ADCC 2017, because he only had the super fight in 2019 against Andre Galvao and um, has kind of tapered off and focused on, on other parts of his career since then. And you could also say that in general, he's had mixed results. You know, he hasn't looked anywhere near as consistent or as dominant as Gordon has. Few people in the world can claim to have that. But you have to think that this being a no time limit, submission only match, meaning the only way to win is by forcing the other person to surrender. There are no tricks, there are no strategies, there's just pure jujitsu versus jujitsu. That Felipe Pena must have an ace up his sleeve that we just don't know about. We'll find out what that is August 7th. You can watch it here on flowgrappling.com live stream or on demand. We've got that as the main event and then we've got a ton of other really cool matches as well to focus on. Of which maybe it's time to talk about. Should we get into it? Yeah, let, let's let's dive into uh, maybe some of the some of the newcomers on this uh, this who's number one card. Yeah, so this uh, let's go into the who's number one preview now because we're talking about, of course, the, the name of the event: Tezos who's number one, Gordon Ryan versus Felipe Pena, August seventh. We've got uh, a number of really really interesting matches here, and of course, everybody's excited to see Nicholas Marigali versus Rafael Lovato Jr. in the co-main event. That's huge. Uh, Mika Galvao returns to take on Alan Sanchez, uh, EBI champion, 10th Planet Black Belt. That's a very interesting one. Uh, Beatrice Mesquita against Liz Clay. So this is a 145-pound non-title match. And then you've got the trials winner, J-Rod, coming back, looking for his first, who's number one victory. Had match of the night just last uh, no, a week or so ago against... Uh, Giancarlo Bodoni, and he's going to be going up against Jacob Couch, Hillbilly Hammer of Daisy Fresh, Pedagogy Submission Fighting. And then we've got two of Mika Galvao's teammates making their debuts on who's number one. You've got Fabricio Andre against Fabian Ramirez, and then Diogo Hayes against Estevan Martinez, the Giant Slayer. So let's talk about Fabricio Andre, because he is, a, he is a, an IBJJF world champion in the Gi, he is an ADCC trials winner, but we feel that maybe who's number one fans may not be too acquainted with this young man. So, Corey, while we play this video of what of, you know, you can see his jujitsu in action. What should people look forward to watching Fabricio Andre? Yeah, if, you, if you're not a fan of Fabricio Andre, if you don't know who who Fabricio Andre is, you should. He is. Uh, what you would expect of a Mika Galvao teammate, if you cross him with, let's say, you know, a Street Fighter character, a Tekken character, right? He he, uh, he is animated. He he likes to uh, play with explosive movements. Big, uh, sharp triangle shooter, right? He he's a sniper with submissions. And one thing we we like, he takes calculated risks to find the submission. He likes to uh, likes to throw it all out there, and and he'll do so with. with the intention of getting the finish, earning the kill in every match. So this is a compilation of uh, some of Fabricio Andre's uh, Nogi matches from just not even the last year, actually, because we're looking at ADCC trials in Sao Paulo, where he qualified for the World Championships in September. The two previous clips were from Honor Submission Fight Challenge that was in, uh, in Italy. And there's a recurring theme here that Andre has incredible finishing ability with his triangle, triangle armbar finishes, very similar to what he does in the gi, right? Yeah, uh, one of his, I guess, most famous moments was when he won the World Championship against Jamil Hill Taylor with a very similar kind of shot up out of nowhere triangle. Yeah, and not only is he a finisher, not only does he have absolutely savage triangles that he can hit from all manner of positions, including <laughs> inverted setups like this. But Fabricio Andre, much like his teammates Diogo Hayes and Mika Galvao, they have very, very good wrestling for jiu-jitsu. As you can see here, beautiful duck under from the sort of interlaced finger setup. He uses it more than once at the ADCC trials. Um, and man, this is, this is Fabricio Andre in action. Just classic Fabricio Andre. He is such a dynamic athlete. And he does not hesitate. Right? He takes that shot, he moves to the back, and right away he's looking looking for back control, looking for a finish. There's there's no 
kind of moment to think he when he pulls the trigger he pulls he really does yeah very very exciting very fast twitch kind of guy don't blink when he competes because really his attacks are like a cobra strike and uh, I think that it helps as well that we're going to go, uh, we're going to put him against Fabian Ramirez, who you saw, of course, on the Who's Next finale. He had a bomb burner with Max Hansen on the prelims of that one. He also had great match on the on the Who's Next uh, reality show. Also uh, was eliminated, didn't get into the house, but had a banger with uh, Andrew Tackett, uh, you know, in the elimination phase. So I think that Fabricio is going to find somebody more than happy to engage with him in the middle of the mat. Yeah, and, and Fabricio is a survivor, excuse me, Fabian is a sur survivor, right? So Fabricio may try and throw all, all types of attacks at him, but Fabian knows how to stay in it, stay alive and keep moving. Yeah, we got some uh, more than one comment here in the uh, in the live chat. Actually, are people very excited to see uh, Fabricio in action. And uh, man, Believe me, these Manaus boys are built different, right? They're, they, they just there's something in the water there. There really is, you know. You saw Diogo Hayes at ADCC trials, uh, winning gold there, um, utilizing this interesting blend of wrestling and submissions. Mikael Galvao is very, very well known at this point, but Fabrizio Andre is the kind of the 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 the, the third part of that little uh, <laughs> that, that little mafia that they've got going on right there. And there are many more. There are many more to come. This is just the three doing making waves right now. So very excited to see uh, Fabrizio Andre in action. Cool. So, should we get into ADCC 2022? Yeah, let's let's. Uh, why don't Why don't we dial it back first to ADCC uh, 20? What is it? 20 2009. 2009. Yeah. So. We're going to try and talk about ADCC in every show from here through till September, right? There's there's so much to talk about regarding ADCC. And, of course, we have the ADCC archives now as well that we want to feature. And uh, this is, you know, 2009, 11, 2015, 2017, 2019. We're working on getting 2013. But... These ADCC archives have, have generated a lot of interest because people have been able to access matches of certain grapplers' careers that they've maybe they've never seen before. Maybe they've seen some clips here or there, some grainy YouTube videos, or you know, being able to find a, a little bit, some snippets here or there. But you can watch, for example, the entire 2011 run of Marcelo Garcia when he won his final ADCC gold medal. You can watch, you know, the, the double gold performance of Braulio Estima in 2009, the double gold performance of Andre Galvao in 2011. But you also now have 2009 and 2011. That is the entire Hafa Mendes ADCC match collection right there. Double gold. To gold in 2009, gold in 2011. And let's run this highlight clip because... People don't appreciate the fact that Hafa Mendes was only 20 years of age when he won his first ADCC gold medal. Yeah, which makes it historic. Hafa, the youngest ever male to win ADCC uh, at, at 20 years of age and looking incredibly sharp, uh, technical, lo looking 10 years older than he is here, just so dialed in, so dominant, right? Uh, Hoffman is one of the most dominant uh, competitors ever in any rule set, but especially here at ADCC. So what stands out to me about this footage was a couple of things. Number one is that Hafa was, yes, incredibly young, and you're right, he competed with a level of maturity and, and experience that really was just way beyond his years. And then the other thing is this, that when you look back at some of this ADCC footage, 2009-2011, the jujitsu does honestly look a little bit dated at times, depending on which matches you're watching. However, Hafa Mendes competing in these matches right here, it looks just like modern day jujitsu. This is so cutting-edge technique, even for modern times. And this is 13 years ago? Yeah, and I think a lot of that is because it's, it's not that, that Hoffa was kind of wise beyond his years in a way that he could see into the future. It's because Hoffa Mendez and, and people like Marcelo Garcia, Hoffa Mendez, people of that generation that were that good, set the cadence, set the expectation, and really kind of define what were going to be the most important and modern jiu-jitsu techniques for the next 10, 15 years. Yeah, I mean, Hafa Mendes, you know, everybody talks with him, uh, you know, the reverential terms, right? It's like, Hafa Mendes, oh my God, he's so good. 
a lot of people have heard that over and over and over, and maybe it's become a, they've become a little bit numb to it. You know, you've seen some video clips of him beating people up in the gi and stuff, but this ADCC footage, honestly, it is staggering to watch the kind of the stuff that he was doing, the, the transitions, the, the wrestle-ups, the, the inversions, the, the guard play, the, the leg attacks, the back attacks. It's, it's inspiring, but it's also it's enlightening just how good his jujitsu level really was, right? Yeah, he's he's so far ahead of his time, and I think that's because we're now looking back at at the things that the techniques that Hoffa was using, the strategies that he was using, and realizing how crucial they are to the way jujitsu is played now because they're effective. Yeah, the same way you know we're looking at Gordon now and looking at the way he utilizes mount, for example, which is in in a lot of in a lot of ways kind of a dead position. Right, and you look at that now and realize, okay, he's seeing something that the rest of us in the jiu-jitsu community are missing, and trying to study that, pick that apart, figure it out, is going to, I'm sure, guide jiu-jitsu for the next ten years. Yeah, yeah, it really is absolutely uh, phenomenal to go back and to look at Alpha Mendez's incredible ADCC career, and uh, you can watch all that and more in the archives on flowgrappling.com. Shall we maybe talk, look ahead now to ADCC 22? And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll take a look at one of the female competitors this time, I believe, right? Who's the ADCC spotlight this week? Yeah, so the, the spotlight this week um, is the, the 2021 female, uh, female Grappler of the Year, Maisa Bastos. Uh, she has won everything there is to win in the Gi. And for the most part, Nogi, she is missing that ADCC title. Uh, but she did earn her right into ADCC this year uh, at the second South American Trials. Um, and believe it or not, Maisa is undefeated in Nogi, including these four matches at trial. She's 24-0 and 0 right now. So a Nogi world champion, I beat JJF. Uh, ADCC, though, a lot of people were doubtful whether Maisa would ever compete in ADCC because I, I, I don't think it's going to be even close. But she is by far going to be the smallest competitor in this weight division, right? Yeah, she generally competes at around 120 pounds, and I would venture to guess that's probably heavy for her. Um, up against a division where the, the weight cap is 132, but we know that most of the competitors will cut down to 132 to make the under 60. Um, Maisa is by far the smallest in, in the 60-kilogram division, and uh, her game is not generally something that is preferred by the ADCC rule set. Right, The ADCC rules don't tend to favor her grappling style, which is very uh, reliant on kind of guard sitting and, and playing from the back until she gets to top position and working her pressure there. I mean, she does have a great top game. And this is something that, you know, small package, but she can, you know, generate in incredible pressure from top position. Of course, that's probably a consequence of training with Marilo Santana at Unity Jiu-Jitsu in New York. And uh, she's able to use her guard, incredibly flexible guard, great inversions, crab ride, great Baron Bolos. And uh, she's she doesn't, I don't think I've ever seen Mice arrest up. I don't think I've ever seen Misa go for a takedown. But that said, she can use her guard to manipulate her opponents that she can get on top. You can look at this crushing presser from the from the, the knee cut right there. And her back takes are just phenomenal. She catches submissions in transitions just like that. So while Bastos might not be the kind of traditional uh, example of the game that works for ADCC, she could go in into ADCC in September, and her style might catch people uh, off guard a little bit due to maybe its uh, unorthodox nature for ADCC, shall we say. Right, and it worked very well for her at trials, right? You can see in uh, the second match here in that highlight, she had a negative point on the board, but she was confident enough in her guard that she could find the submission and utilize her bottom, her bottom game better than she would have wasted time wrestling. Um, to get the submission in the in the second match, she allowed herself to get taken down and knee tap. A really really keen strategy in the ADCC rule set. Yeah. To play from her uh, to play that, from her favorite position. Because that way you don't eat the negative, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, so there are ways that, that Maisa can can climb this division and, and make a name for herself, potentially remain undefeated. And I think, given the slate of of opponents that she'll have in this division. If she is able to make it to the top of to the top of the sixty kilogram division, if she's able to win an ADCC gold medal, she should be considered one of the top five, top ten female grapplers in history. So, you mentioned about how the, sort of the the sixty kilogram division 
Well, let's take a look at the lineup because Meisner is one of eight competitors. We have the under 60 kilogram. We have the, the kind of the, the eight pictured right here. And you can see that Meisner Bastos from Brazil was one of the four trials winners. Excuse me, three trials winners. Yeah, four trials winners in this case. Uh, so you have returning champions, Bianca Basilio, 2019 champion, Beatrice Mesquita, 2017 champion. You have silver medalist, Fionn Davis, uh, Elvira Karpinen of Finland was invited also. And then you have the trials winners is Brianna St. Marie, North American Trials winner, Maisa Bastos, South American Trials winner, Julia Myler, uh, Norwegian uh, competitor, European Trials winner, and then Adele Fornarino, who won the Australian, the Asia Oceania Trials. So this lineup right here, Maisa by far, as we said, the smallest competitor, but where do you think she kind of fits into this lineup right here? Because it's a, an eight-person bracket. It's kind of... Um, it's kind of tough to, to to maybe imagine how they get faced up against each other. Would you say? Yeah. So we can we can presume I think who the top three in this in the seating chart are, right? Uh, Bianca Basilio would be a, be a mosquito, and Fionn Davis probably in that order would be would be one, two, and three. Right, because you got two champions and then a silver medalist. Right. Four four is a tough call, right? Uh, Elvira Carpenin Carpenin uh, is a uh, bronze medal winner, um, but Brianna Saint Marie I would say arguably had the tougher run. She won back-to-back -back North American trials, including two of the most uh, well-attended trials in history. So that should put her pretty close to the top. So I would say Maisa very likely takes the sixth seed. Right. But, and well, then you have to think the Australia and the European trials winners would take the seven and eight. Well, could go either way or there. But so, so where would the number five seed, you imagine, number five or six seed, where would that, where would that place Maisa, do you think, first round? He, I'd venture to guess we might have, and this is a really interesting matchup for me, a Fionn Davis matchup, very oh, wow. first round. So can you imagine, right? You have two world champions going down first round at uh, the in ADCC at the 60-kilogram division. That gives her a really tough road. Fionn is a great wrestler. She prefers top position, which is where Maisa is going to want to operate. Um, so... It, th things might be tough for, for Maisa, who is the smaller person in this division, but that's, for me, maybe one of the best first-round matches we could imagine in any division. Hell yeah, that's what makes ADCC so exciting. Yeah, you get matches like this. Fionn Davis and Maisa Bastos, of course, both IBJJF World Nogi champions and both Who's Number One champions as well, with uh, Maisa the 115-pound champion, and Fionn Davis, the 125-pound champion. So that's, uh, that's going to be really cool to see them go under... Go at it underneath those uh, those rules, but to be honest, there's no there's no bad matches in 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 this division, right? Yeah, and there's really no telling how it will shake out. Totally, we know the the uh, the ADCC bracket makers like to like to make the most interesting matchups possible, like to manipulate things a little bit so that yeah we get what we want. They like their wild cards, right? right? They like to they like to manipulate things, like you say. They like to just like keep us on our toes. So it's, you can you can do your best predict, you know, the logic kind of you know will work in predicting the brackets to a point. But then the ADCC overlords, they'll just be like, nah, let's just switch this up for fun. So love it. ADCC 2022 goes down in September. You can watch it all live or on demand here on Flow Grappling. So excited for it! It's going to be the biggest Nogi grappling event, the biggest grappling event in history cannot wait well that's pretty much it from today's show that was a good one a lot to talk about right there and uh if you missed out on anything of course we have all the match replays uh interviews and much much more on flowgrappling.com of course 11 days out from gordon versus Felipe penna it's coming up very very quick we're super excited for that one and then short shortly after that august 12th we've got the ibjjf gp both the male and the female black belt gps with a handful of super fights as well all that and much more. You can watch it all on Flow Grappling. We'll see you next week.